Just to confirm, CNN Plus, out of the gate at least, is commercial free. And as you said, Anthony, it's $3 a month or $60 a year. People are paying not to see those ads. And obviously, iSpot would not be or on there. Or they're paying to see Chris Wallace. Anderson Cooper in a leather jacket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. Real-time audience analytics are standard for online publishers and advertisers, but the concept was a novelty in TV advertising before a startup called iSpot came along in 2012. The Bellevue, Washington-based company took the turnaround time for data about TV ads from weeks to hours and minutes. A decade later, iSpot is a key partner and resource for major media platforms and advertisers, and it's increasingly becoming an alternative to industry stalwart Nielsen. This week, we'll talk about the changes in how we're all watching TV and other shows and how analytics are evolving with those trends. Our guest is iSpot tech chief, Anthony Skinner. Anthony, it's great to have you here. Uh, Great to be here. Hello, everyone. Just to start, Anthony, can you give us a sense for what iSpot is seeing in terms of how all of us are consuming content today versus how we did in the past when we sit down to be entertained or informed? You know, as you you look at the TV landscape, as you mentioned, it, it has changed quite a bit, just even in the last year or the last two years with COVID, right? So you looked at a lot of us looked at what is traditionally known as linear TV. So you had something like Comcast or Charter or Verizon Fios or something like that. And you looked at TV and your programming in a linear format, right? And that was probably about 78 to 80% of viewing. And then, you know, as, as things have progressed, there's a lot of cord cutters. People are cutting the cord and really moving away from the traditional linear TV. And so a good portion of us go back and forth between what is typically known as linear and streaming. So about 30% of us do that, right? We go back and forth. And there's another good set of those folks who only look at something that's not on any of those providers. There's purely cord cutting. It's you buy a a Vizio or a LG and you watch what they call watch for free. And so that's delivered to them OTA over the air. Then there's another set of folks who do that. Plus they watch all the streaming apps. And so really the viewing as we see it today is really fragmented among all of those different types of ways to view TV and programming. What does that mean for your business in terms of how you are able to deliver that? Because I know for many years, iSpot was focused just on the TV. In fact, I think the technical name is iSpot.tv of the company. So I assume that means you're getting into all these other different platforms too. So I I guess before we go there, maybe we'll do a little history of of why it's iSpot.tv and how we started. You can, and then you can see how we progressed and really got there. So, you know, our founder, uh, Sean, he, he was, he was at home sitting on his couch and he was actually looking for a TV commercial. And at that point in time, all of us were working together previously at a company called MediaNet. And that was a company in which we measured how uh, really digital products were being delivered to different devices, right? So really thought about music and how those things were being done. But one of the things that we did there, which is most people probably don't know, it was cutting edge back then was to deliver things like radio streaming to a device or allow other companies to do that. And so in doing so, we were behind things like Turntable FM, really the first Google Play Store. We built a lot of those things in the background. And so a, a lot of folks didn't, didn't know we were sitting down in Seattle doing that, but that's kind of where we got our, our chops and started. It was all digital, digital based. 
And so as Sean was sitting at home looking for a TV commercial, he's really just trying to figure out why couldn't he see any data or stats on these things. And so the concept, the whole idea was to track TV ads and really have it be something that was more like you would have in the digital world. So why wouldn't you be able to look at an ad, see when it played last, what types of attributes are there? What type of metrics should be there? What's the metadata behind it? And he really was like, why, why isn't this happening? Why isn't it out there? So we all kind of got together one day on his dock and thought about this, like, wow, this could be huge. Why don't we do it? And so we, we all got together and decided to, to go this route and really think about how we could bring digital metrics to TV. And that's, that's how we originally started. And, and then as we were there and tracking and we really focused on that ad catalog, we had brands come in and work with us and be able to look at what types of things they should be able to measure and look at how their ads are performing. But at the same time, we also had networks doing that as well. And so really we progressed over time as the measurement and how people's viewing actually changed as well. And so that, that's how we moved in from just TV itself over to streaming and all the other ways and formats as are delivered. And the technology that you all developed at iSpot was, and I think this surprised you and Sean and the rest of the team, because you were coming from technology backgrounds, you didn't really understand how cutting edge it was. It wasn't really that advanced to you, but for the industry, it was far, far advanced, especially when you compare it to something like what Nielsen was doing, right? Which was essentially tracking, not in real time, but weeks. It would take weeks to compile this data and get it back out to the advertisers. So that was kind of the secret sauce, as I understand it as it related to iSpot, was like real-time delivery of information to clients. Yeah, that, that's correct. It was it was exactly that. Like you said, Nilsson, who was the, the previous person that was really the 800-pound gorilla in the room, had everyone going to them to figure out the metrics, right? And they had something called the people meter. And that people meter was something that you'd put on your person or uh, something that was on your your uh in your home and you clicked whether you were watching it, how are you watching it and all these other things. It was something that you really had to do actively. Right. And so when they compile their data, it probably took, you know, four weeks, if not longer to get that data back out to everyone. Or in our case, we we're doing it by using smart TVs. Right. And it's an opt in panel where everyone's opting in and it's passive. And so one of the things we're able to do with that, Hey, those TVs are on right now in real time. So we're able to gather information and compile it in real time. So our turnaround to get metrics out there is, of course, not weeks. It's you can be on our site. If something has been aired, it's on our website probably within a half hour and, and you have metrics on it, right? So it's a totally different model. And like you said, we, we came from the digital world. So for us, it was something that seemed pretty normal, but for TV, it was abnormal and new, right? So yeah, it was a huge opportunity for us to disrupt the market. And Sean Mueller, the CEO of the company and co-founder, has talked about this bet on smart TVs many years ago as like a you know a bet the company moment where I think you invested like five million dollars or something at the time to really go big on smart TVs. And I want to fast forward to today on that because I assume you're still collecting massive amounts of data from from those providers and those manufacturers. Do you run into any sort of tension now? that those organizations don't want to provide data to you because now you have so much data or they want to control it and they want to provide that information to their customer base. I guess my question is, why, why are they still turning over this data to you, you know, here five, six, seven years later? 
It's a great question. The, the truth of the matter is, it's, it's one thing to collect the data. It's a whole other thing to actually collect it and make sense of it, right? And the one thing that we are doing, we were really first to the market to do the, the smart TVs, but we're also first to the market to do something which we, we actually have a patent on, and it's proprietary only to us, is our ad catalog. So we built that, and we're able to calibrate against that ad catalog where we can definitively say what's on that smart TV and how it's running. And so their technology, they come pretty close to knowing what's there. But typically what happens is if you're working with the manufacturer, they'll say, well, it could be one of 15 commercials. It's pretty close because the audio is the same. It sounds like this and it kind of looks like that. But what we do is we know what has been running because we're pulling all of those ads based upon our technology and our ad catalog and calibrating it against what's on the screen. So if they wanted to pull from us, the value is really us and what we're doing and providing it in our ad catalog. And so truth be told, Many of these manufacturers are coming to us to resell our data as part of their services. You have better technology that picks up the audio and video messages in these ads and is able to pinpoint it more accurately that you can get it very granular in terms of what the ad is, where it's airing, and and, and who's watching it. Yes, absolutely. And that's better than what the manufacturer can do or your competitors can do. Exactly. Exactly. Which is why that that has put us in the the leading market position for that very reason. The thing about it is it's not just TVs, of course. And the problem is it's not just one person watching the TV, right? So say you're watching Netflix, it might be your profile, but you've got two or three other family members in there. One person may be browsing on their phone, another person may be on their computer. It just seems like it's so much more complex so how do you capture all of that? And I, I realize some of that might be secret sauce and maybe too far in the weeds, but I, I'd love a, just a general sense for what you do to get all that complexity. First of all, we don't let Netflix in this house because there's no, no ads. So as soon as, as, soon as you can get <laughs> right, ads, right. yeah, we're, we're on it. But it's a good point. So people look at uh, and view content in all different ways. And so our, our technology and how people use our technology is absolutely used in every single one of those ways. And so if it's something that's displayed on the TV, we get that. And then we, we have integration with, with many of the providers, if not all of them, that allows us to see what ads are being displayed on different platforms as well. And so we can do that through server-side integrations or through client-side. And so we, we do both. So we can determine what device is being played on. We bring that information into our platform as well. And so for sure, we're able to measure and bring all of those analytics, regardless of where you're actually viewing that content, we can see it. So to your point, my, my kids exclusively watch a, a bulk of what they're seeing on, on, their, on their handheld devices. But yeah, absolutely, we're measuring that as well. We do cross-platform measurement. So we're not just TV in that respect. You said earlier that the smart TV data collection is opt-in. That's opt-in for the end user, the person watching the content? Yeah, absolutely. So the typically how that happens is uh, if you purchase a TV in the, in the last few years, uh, as you start that TV up, you'll go through it and it has a set of menus. And in those set of menus, you, you have to opt into this service. And with all of our providers, it's every quarter you're getting asked the question, are you going to be opted in? So it's not something you, you set and forget. It's constantly something you have to opt into in order to collect this data. So yeah, everyone's 100% opted into our data collection or else we don't collect as the chief engineer at iSpot, how big of a technical challenge was it to get the platforms working together and to build from an initial TV measurement service to one that was measuring different devices and 
all the streaming platforms. And where are you on that roadmap? It took several years to do. You know, as, as we did the integration, we actually started with some of the biggest platforms first and then really whittled the, our way down to the, the smaller ones. And so right now we have every single major and ones you haven't even heard of. And so there's probably 200 plus streaming platforms out there that we integrated with, if not more. Uh, as far as the types of services that deliver ads to different devices, there's several hundred of those. And so we are integrated with all of those. And to actually get that level of skill, you know, it took a couple of years to do that and to build it out and build the whole platform and be able to have metrics around cross-screen measurement, co-viewing measurement. So as Todd mentioned, sometimes you have a household where there's someone who's 55-year-old in the household plus a 20-year-old or people are using different accounts. So to have measurement around that and think about just the algorithms of how you put those types of things together and the metrics, you absolutely took some time to do. But as you look at how we've built those things out, I think we're pretty well done. There's not much more you can do. So one comes on, call it CNN Plus, and they have ads and we want to do integration there. Sure, it's just add one more. But as far as the continuum of where we are today, I'm pretty comfortable that we're there and there's not a ton of work to do. But it, it was a big lift in order to get there. So that's a good example. I mean, CNN Plus just came on uh, line this, this past week. So are, is that something where you are measuring ads across that platform now? Uh, not not today, but um, I'm sure if they decide to put ads on it, which I haven't signed up for it yet. Oh, do they not have ads on CNN Plus? I just assume they did. I don't, I'm not sure. I know it's $3 for right now if you get on, but I'm not sure. I was going to sign up uh, just to start using it myself. Well, that is a good question because like we mentioned Netflix doesn't have ads, HBO Max, no ads, but a number of these services do. Paramount Plus, Hulu. I, I even heard that Disney Plus is considering a service where they might add advertising in. And so where do you see that headed in terms of some of these more traditional streamers, if you will, like the Netflix and the HBO Maxes of the world and their advertising efforts? Do you see them planting a flag in that arena? I think the streaming companies will move to both if you want to have a, the broad the net of more people being out there to be able to watch the content, right? So I, I think there will be both. I, and I think that's why you see Disney starting to, to ponder it. So there's only so many people who can pay for so many of these platforms. And at some point, you know, ads can support. And, and the beauty of it is with our data, you, you're able to, to have ads that are relevant to the person that's watching, which is always more helpful. As, as you know, if you, you ever watch the news, you flip back and forth between CNN and, and Fox. Well, there's there's a lot of commercials that probably don't apply to us, right? They, they might be targeting an older demographic that isn't necessarily us. But the one thing you do know, if you're logged in to something like CNN Plus or Disney, you do know who who that person is and more likely to, to deliver a relevant ad. So I, I think it will go that way. But of course, I'm biased as well. So I, I wouldn't mind seeing ads on Netflix. So Yeah, big potential customer. Exactly. Just recently, iSpot had some big news and it gained ground against one of the leaders in this industry, one of the incumbents. And we're going to talk about that coming up next. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. Our guest is Anthony Skinner of iSpot, the Seattle area company that offers advertising analytics across all sorts of different platforms. And Anthony, just recently, you were actually on the Saturday Night Live stage at an NBC Universal developer conference making a big announcement. 
What was the news that you announced there? Their developer conference is really uh, laying out all their new platforms and everything that they're they're doing around measurement and how TV ad buying is going to be purchased. And the announcement there was iSpot is going to be used for the currency going forward for measuring how ads are being delivered. So no longer Nielsen, it's all about iSpot. And so pretty huge monumental shift in currency. We're at the heart of it. And, you know, NBC is one of the biggest out there as far as programs and ads and the revenue around ads. And so really as those, as NBCU moves, uh, we're, we're guessing everyone else is going to move right behind them. So pretty big news for us. When you say currency in this context, Anthony, what does that mean? Previously, everything was bought on a Nielsen rating. And so that's really what everyone purchased their ad performance against, right? And it was really based on uh, a program because they, they deliver program ratings. With us, we, we really do both. We measure the program and we measure ads, right? And so now you can look at if you're going to purchase something, how well is my ad going to perform within these programs or how many different impressions I'm going to get in different programs and across different platforms. So again, you know, look at us, we're cross-platform measurement. NBCU is, has Peacock, they have other services as well, right? And other networks within their family. So it's really looking at how, how you can deliver ads against all of those things and how well they'll perform. And you've been testing this, right, with them in including the Super Bowl? Is that right? Yep. Yep. Can you give examples? I mean, that's such a high profile advertising event. Like, can you give examples of like what you could discern through your platform using the Super Bowl as an example? So we were not only Super Bowl, but also the Olympics. So we did all the measurement for that. So one of the key things for us is we delivered our metrics back to NBCU end of day, right? So all metrics are back. Whereas if you look at something like our competitors, they were delivering maybe an overnight rating for just what happened, but not performance against everything that typical advertisers would look at. And so we were able to provide metrics around the Super Bowl and the types of streaming that was happening and how people were consuming content really within hours, not not overnight or in weeks. And what did you learn from that? Uh, let's use the Super Bowl as an example, like what works and what doesn't. And then do the advertisers... I guess they are to blame for putting perhaps bad creative out there, or can they look at it and say, oh, we shouldn't have been in the third quarter or fourth quarter. We should have been in the first quarter. Like, are they making those sorts of judgment calls? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So Super Bowl is one of those things that people tune in for ads. So it's a little bit different, right? So for that, it's just measuring how well an ad did among all the ads that are inside of the Super Bowl, right? And so we're able to tell you how, how those ads perform. And how they perform within the Super Bowl. If you, but if you take something like the Olympics, where people aren't necessarily t- tuning in just to uh, to watch ads, it's it's a little bit different, right? So there, you can actually do things and, and figure out: Do you have the right ad load, and are you showing the number of ads that should be seen by a, a, a certain brand, right? And are and do you have that mix right? And do you and are you reaching people across the different platforms? And so one of the things we're able to do with with NBCU is say look at how many people are switching among the different platforms and how they're actually looking at content. So therefore, adjusting the number of impressions that are actually delivered to individuals. And so we're able to do that and have the flighting of those ads change almost in real time. And so as they were reaching in and looking at how they're placing ads, they're able to adjust those basically as, as the time was going. This raises an interesting question in my mind. And obviously, you can infer a lot from what people are watching 
and the fact that they were tuning into a particular show when an ad was shown. Are you able to use any other kinds of data streams? I'm thinking of myself like in the living room yelling at my uh, ALEXA. I don't want to say it because I'll trigger her right now here on my desktop. But like, are there other things that you're able to pick up, Anthony, within the bounds of privacy that give a sense for audience engagement? Everything we do is really opted in. So if you're if you're using something like a smart speaker, no, we won't pick those up unless that smart speaker provider has asked you to opt in and they've shared it with us, right? And so we won't pick up things like that. But across different platforms, yes, we will. And we do an integration with Twitter, for instance, right? And so we'll measure the engagement that's happening on on different social platforms and bring that into the platform as well. And so absolutely, we'll do that. So as long as it's something where folks are opted into it and it's something uh, worth measuring, we will. Right, because not not all things because they're happening in different platforms are actually worth measuring or can give any directionality for for the actual uh, advertisers. You were talking about Nielsen earlier. What does that NBC Universal deal do for iSpot more broadly? Because NBCU is kind of a tastemaker in this market in some ways, as I understand it. Yeah, they absolutely are. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge opportunity for us. It's one where you get to perhaps dethrone a, a giant, right? So Nielsen's really been the one that has been there. Now it's time for others. It's not our belief that we want to be the next Nielsen. We, we believe for the market to behave a certain way, you probably need more than one measurement company, right? So if you look at digital ads, it's not just one company that's measuring those ads. It's multiple and multiple can do it. And through that, you'll actually get innovation. And so our hope is to be one of them. That's one of them and perhaps the main one. But uh, yeah, absolutely be the, the main uh, measurement that networks and advertisers go to, to to measure ads. And what is the authorization process of this? I'm studying up a little bit on the Media Rating Council, which I'd never heard of, which plays a role here kind of as a third party arbiter of sorts. And they haven't yet endorsed your technology, right? But NBC Universal has come in and said, hey, we believe in iSpot, we're bringing them on. But this media rating council is saying, well, let's not so fast. We're not 100% on board that iSpot is the, you know, the leader or the, or the bet we're going to make here on measurement. So where do they come into play? And, and what's that process look like right now? Yeah, actually, I'd, I'd put it a little bit differently. So uh, the, the MRC is, is something where they're not necessarily ones that will reach out and say, you can't place your bet there or the industry won't place the bet there. What they're essentially doing is giving accreditation to you in your methodologies, right? And that's something we reached out to them and we asked them to go through the process to accredit what we're doing. And so we're going through that process now. It is something that is important and something that we believe everyone should do. So we're all on a level playing ground. And to that end, for, for us, you know, I, I think transparency in what we're doing and how we're doing it and, and having everyone sign off on our measurement and our methodologies is something that we believe is good for the industry and for everyone as a whole. So it's, you know, having that arbor there is, is something that is great for all of us. I was joking a little bit about Amazon's voice assistant, but one of the fascinating trends that we've seen across a lot of these big tech platforms is just how significant they're becoming as advertising platforms unto themselves. And Amazon is a really interesting example there because they're having a lot of folks 
advertise, third-party sellers need to advertise to get their products elevated in search results. How is that impacting your business? And is, is that a place that iSpot could end up going in terms of measurement? So uh, Amazon, and it's on our website, so it's not like it's, it's a secret. They do use our data for helping them and helping their app and inform their advertising. Uh, how they use it in-house, not sure. But it is our data is absolutely used there. So, but they're doing a lot of that in house on their own, just purchasing our data and integrating into their platform. And a, and a lot of customers do that as well. So, our, we have the ability to integrate into your to any stack that you have, or your marketing stack, or your platform, and allow you to integrate our data into it to inform how Meta is doing or how you should be placing uh, ads. Does that make you nervous with Amazon that they could turn around and become a rival? <laughs> Uh, originally it did. Um, originally it did it. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things I think people worry about at Amazon doing that, but you know, not really. Cause I, I think they tried to, and I think they discovered it's hard. So, so they were a customer, then they weren't a customer and now they're back. So huh. there you have it. So no, I'm not that worried. <laughs> it's not easy. It's, it's not something you can do overnight. So, uh, yeah. So not, not that worried. Going back to the subject of Nielsen, the company was in the news this week because it's being acquired for $16 billion. We'll talk about that coming up next. The big news of the week was with your rival of Nielsen getting acquired by the private equity firm. And just curious how you're looking at that development. I guess there's two ways to look at that, right? Well, one's fantastic. They'll be busy and we'll continue to produce a better product, greater product and add more to it. The flip side, there is some validation that it's, it's a great space to be in, right? So people could look at TV as something that was old tech, but bringing new tech to it and having the opportunity there and seeing promise behind it is there's validation in that, right? So absolutely. So good on them and great for the industry. I had a little bit of a different take on it, and Anthony probably can't speak to it, but, and Todd, I don't know if you had any feelings on this, but to me, it looked like a old school technology company, and these, these are my words, so this isn't iSpot speaking, that had hit rough times, lost some momentum, and this private equity group led by Evergreen Coast Capital, which is affiliated with Elliott Investment Management, comes in, swoops in. And does what private equity does, which can be dismantle, regroup, reposition, sell off, try to maximize profits, refocus, do a lot of different things that seems to me opens up a massive avenue for another competitor or two to run from second or third base home. And it just seems, Anthony, that like, Wow, looking and, and this is kind of an outside view of somebody who doesn't pay a lot of attention to this industry, but man, the the NBC Universal validation coupled with this kind of strange buyout uh, happening to an old legacy player that you've been nipping at the heels on for a long time. I mean, I don't know how to ask this without being just a softball, but it's just like it seems like you guys are set up for tremendous success right now in terms of what's ahead based on the news events just of the last two months. You're absolutely right. Uh, and, and that that is how we also see it. Of course, that's not the political answer I'd ever put out there, but absolutely right. You did it for me. So yeah, 
So for sure, we, we do see it that way. And it's, it's fantastic for us. Look, that this is what private equity does, right? They come in and it, it causes all, all sorts of things where they basically they're going to do just as you describe. And here we are. We've run the company in a way that we've been profitable. We have put out new products and we're positioned now to, to really be first and take this, take this over. And so we all feel it inside the, the building. We all know it and we're all pushing to do just that. So absolutely. So you guys have made some acquisitions yourselves, smaller acquisitions that look like they're uh, technology additive, I would say. And you said you're profitable, which is, I mean, a lot of the unicorn style companies in the Northwest aren't aren't to that stage yet. How do you see yourselves growing in the next few years? Are you going to raise more money? Do you need to? Do you see yourselves buying additional companies, going public? What's What's the next step here? to get even bigger and take advantage of what looks to be a pretty nice market opportunity right in front of you. The acquisitions, as you point out, they're, they're really additive. So if you look at Ace Metrics, it's really a survey-based company. And so they're one that they look at ads before they're placed, right? And how they well they do and how they might resonate with people. And also while they're in market and how, how they're being received. And so they provide metrics around that. DR Metrics was our, our second one, their direct response type of collecting direct response ads. Um, they were they're better at it than we were because that was their main focus. And so if you look at the ads that have a call to action at the very end or at, at the start, they really track those 800 numbers and the different URLs. And so they built a lot of technology around it. We had some, but it wasn't our main emphasis. So we, we integrated them and they had a great customer base. Our last one is was Tunity, and they're out of home. And so again, we talked about Nielsen, the Nielsen People Monitor. They they had something that was again clunky that you had to take with you, put on your belt, and then you would say if you're out of home, and you'd click all these buttons. Well, in our case, we we bought something that it's app based, and you can use it out of home. So then provides the out of home metrics. And so if you look at it, we really now have the full suite of everything you need to do to measure ads. And so everything we did was really strategical about how we wanted to go out and look at the types of add-ons, right? And these are companies that can run standalone really without us, but with us and then a part of iSpot, it's, it makes the, the value proposition even greater. And so that's really how we thought about the things that we're buying. And then around just cash, it's not something we need to do, raise cash. We've always run in a place where we are profitable. We've, we, are, we looked at how we invest in the business. We've done it based upon the revenue we'll be able to make. And that's really always how we've run that company and always thought about it. And so we're not in a position where we have to go out and look for cash. It's just not something we ever wanted to be in the position of, right? And so we really can fund our own growth. And that's that's what you see us doing. And that's what you see us doing even with the acquisitions. It's funding it out of our growth. And so it's fantastic to see all the great unicorns around here. And certainly we believe we're one of them. We also believe that let's let's do this based upon the revenue and have sound fundamentals around our financials in doing so. That's an interesting comment on the unicorn status, Anthony. And I don't want to get you in trouble with Sean, but the last time iSpot raised money was back in 2018, I believe. It was a $30 million round. And when you did a Geek of the Week profile back before the pandemic, back in 2019, one of the answers was just wait till next year until iSpot reaches unicorn status. And of course, the way that we would figure out normally if iSpot was a unicorn would be a, a fundraising round at a certain valuation. But it sounds like the company in some respects, even if it's not through an investment valuing iSpot at that level, has 
reach that valuation, at least uh, internally on your own books? I can't confirm or deny, but what I will say is the the if you look at those many of those that are unicorn or were unicorn with their valuations before, I don't know that they are now. So you know, put put whatever weight you want to behind valuations, but what I will put weight behind is actually making revenue and being able to fund your own growth. So there's some value in that. And why is that? Because that is a very different approach from you know probably the majority of the companies that Todd and I interview and talk to. I mean, most are like. Let's raise another round when we can get our valuation up right now. What, what what's the logic? What's the logic about you know using your own revenue and profits to grow the business versus outside capital? I think we've all seen the two thousands. We we've seen two thousand eight. We've seen others. And so, if you are not also fiscally responsible with your cash, right, the next time you go out, they're usually down rounds. And so, it's not a position we'd want to put ourselves in. It's be fundamental. Think about how you grow the business. Think about the valuation and what it should be in the the proper valuations, right? So, I, I think there's there's different ways to look at business, and so we we've kind of been through several of those rounds. We've seen what it does to you also if you have a valuation that is out of whack, and so let let's have it be within what it should be, and also be able to do it with our ability to raise to have our own revenue because we're certainly not at a place where we're not growing at a fast clip like everyone else, right? We're not missing out. So we, we, and we share our financials inside the building so everyone knows them. And so they can see how we're doing, how profitable we are, what our, what our growth looks like. And so they're all, they're, everyone's all in on it as well. So just a different approach. Yeah. It's a great story. And I think it's one that maybe doesn't get heard as much, you know, that there are technology companies and platforms that are growing extremely fast. They've raised a modest amount of money in comparison to what's been raised here in the last two or three years. And they're growing profitable businesses and attacking lucrative markets and knocking off older established players. I mean, that's kind of the way it used to run, right, Todd, in the tech industry. I mean, that's kind of what you got excited about when you saw companies that could do that versus just you raise $600 million and become a $5 billion company with no revenue. So it's kind of, I mean, I, I like the story because it's uh, it's a kind of a throwback of how you should build a business. Well, it's building a business for the business's sake versus for an exit. And I think that's obviously what a lot of these companies are doing when they're raising huge rounds, going for growth at all costs. They're looking for the IPO or the acquisition and not necessarily the enduring business. And so that's why it's a throwback. Yeah, well, it's refreshing to hear. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's uh, that that's that is how we're, we're building the business. And you know, if we think about fundraising, it's still with those fundamentals, right? So it could be acceleration, but it's still going to be with those fundamentals, and we still will be profitable in how we grow. We will never never get to the point where we're just burning cash to burn and try to grow at all cost. And like I said, we we've been at this for ten years. We plan to be at it ten more. Crossroads is a great place. If you ever out there, come on by right by the post office. Come out and hang out with us in Bellevue there. All right. We'll come, we'll come say hello. How many folks do you have now at the company? Total right now, I believe right around 315-ish. I love Bellevue Crossroads, especially the mall. I used to go in there all the time if I needed quotes for Microsoft employees for the latest story about stock options or something back in the day, because I could just go around and pick them out because of their badges. And they all went there to the food court. And, and now Anthony goes over there and recruits engineers probably. So... <laughs> 
Well, it's funny you, you say that. So they, they, they love their badges and they should, it's for sure. And we, we like going over there as well, but my team laughs at me because when it's raining, I'll go over there and mall walk. And there's a few, few retirement homes over there. So I actually know all of the people are mall walking. So they're all my friends. So we, we like hanging out there. We're part of the ecosystem that's crossroads. So we love it as well. There was a great Geek of the Week profile of you that ran on GeekWire in 2019. And I want to follow up on just a couple of the questions that you answered for that. One was, what's your workspace like and why does it work for you? And you explained that you keep a desk very sparse. You want to be able to put everything in one moving box to make it easy to move floors just in case there's a reorg. I imagine that held you in good stead during the pandemic. Yeah, no, absolutely. And overall, for the whole company, we were able to, to move pretty fast. And so you're absolutely right. I, I just had my laptop. I'm able to go. And so I grew up in the, the General Electric days where the solution to any problem was a reorg. And so <laughs> you never knew you never knew what floor where you were going to be. So it didn't make sense to get too comfortable. And so I just kind of stuck with that principle going forward. And then you said the greatest game in history. And this is where we risk you and John going off on a, a long tangent, but I'll go there anyway. The greatest game in history, FIFA 2009 on the Wii. And I completely empathize with your answer here. The reason was that the Wii was a motion controller. It allowed you to play without having to learn all those crazy Xbox or PlayStation uh, controller button arrangements. FIFA 2009 on the Wii, is that still the greatest game in history in your mind? Well, look, I absolutely believe it is. It's, it's one I could play with the kids. It's one that didn't actually just dominate the game because they knew all the buttons. You know, I'd be, I have to sit down and play with them and have to look at the buttons and ask them what's the buttons <laughs> for and how do I do something. So I give, I, now I give up. Now we do, uh, now we do an F1 together so I can crash a car fairly easily. <laughs> yeah. The Wii's the best. And, then, and you got exercise while you're doing it. Right. So it was absolutely fun and fun to do with the kids. I can't believe you didn't make reference to the uh, waiting in line for vanilla ice tickets. (laughs) That's uh, right. In the Geek of the Week profile. That's right. But maybe Anthony doesn't want to admit that at this point. (laughs) Hey, I don't don't mind. Vanilla vanilla ice, he's great. Plus, he has a TV show that has ads on it. There you go. How can you not like him? Yeah. That's great. That actually raises an interesting point on the video games because that gets into the metaverse and VR. Where is iSpot headed? in the future, if you were to project out five years from now, Anthony, what, what kinds of things would you be measuring? What kinds of platforms? Give us a sense to the extent you can for the roadmap um, either. Can you measure this podcast as an example? Exactly. Is that on the, yes, that on yes the, we can. That's on the roadmap. It's already, that's already, it's in already there. on the, it's, okay. it's, it's already there. We already do. If you run ads and our, our advertisers are placing ads on your podcast, we do measure those. So yes, we can do that. And we do believe that the the metaverse will be a place that will have ads as well. And we, we plan to measure that too. And fundamentally, it won't change how we do measurement. Uh, again, it's going to be delivered by a server and we're integrated with the server. So largely doesn't matter to us. We're, we're right there. So we're, we're, we believe we're future-proof to think about how, how ads will be run and where they'll be placed going forward with all of our integrations. Well, Anthony Skinner, this has been a ton of fun. It's been great to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Our podcast is produced by Kurt Milton. Our theme music is by Daniel L.K. Caldwell. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We'll be back next week with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.